Well, it's good to be here. Welcome friends, whether you're online or in one of our physical communities or here with us together, it's good to be the church together, isn't it? It is. So you've joined us for the first week of a three-week series. It's actually part two of a series that we started back in February talking about we are here. Where are we as a church and where are we headed as a church going forward? And back then in February, we seeded this metaphor of being at base camp in between legs of an extreme journey, which we are on. The Christian faith, the idea of being a church, these are extreme journeys, aren't they? But the good kind of extreme journey. And we rooted ourselves in purpose. We talked about how our core purpose, our identity is to know and be transformed to be more like Jesus together and to invite others to experience that relationship with Jesus and transformation to his likeness. And we talked about some identity markers and some principles that we feel like through you, through us, through one another, the spirit's been talking to us about for years and especially in the last year of who God's calling us to be as a church. We talked about what it means to share and distribute power in a Jesus-centered way. We talked about what it means to be a community that accepts the mission of reconciliation with one another and with God. We talked about being Holy Spirit led and what it looks like for the spirit to be embraced and set loose in our community. And we talked about what it means to orient ourselves as a centered set community, discipling one another towards Jesus, facing him and walking towards him. And those being the markers of membership inside of our church community. And all of that is still true, but now we want to stand up from base camp and say, where do we go from here? And we're ready to climb the mountain, right? Up and to the right, yes. Or maybe not, maybe not so fast. So I'd love to invite us to consider the possibility that we may not be able to get to where we wanna head from where we are today. And remember, our journey isn't just a spatial and a temporal journey. As we just remembered, our journey is one of transformation knowing and becoming more like Jesus. And is it possible that we can't necessarily get to where we need to go from exactly where we are today? So if I throw the word death out to you, how does that make you feel? You don't even have to answer out loud, but how does that make you feel if we think about the word and the concept of death? For most of us, it doesn't exactly conjure up comfortable, lovely feelings, does it? Yet, isn't this the beautiful paradox of the, the Christian reality, the story of our faith, that this concept of death and resurrection is right at the center of the narrative. This idea of old things being made new, brokenness being redeemed, seeds falling and planting and giving way to new sprouts of life. Jesus said this to us in, in John 12, uh, 24 and 25. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will what? Lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Of course, there's context to this. Jesus is talking about his coming death and what it means to leave the spirit behind and for his death to produce new life. And when it's the divine gardener that's at work, when those seeds fall, a cycle of new life can be produced. And when the king that we worship is one that's defeated death, we don't have to fear it. And it actually becomes 
the very pathway to hope that no one else can offer. Yet we resist it, don't we? We resist it as individuals. We resist it as churches often. In fact, Western Christianity, I would argue, has adopted this cancer of feeling like when church feels comfortable and when church feels good, that's when we must be receiving the blessing of God. When we're up and to the right, things are going well. And it doesn't mean that moments of up and to the right are not God blessed, but is it possible that we've misunderstood the whole point of being church together? And we've missed the opportunity to embrace the spiritual significance of a good death and what it means to lay things down in order to be able to experience the newness of life that Jesus has on the other side. We've been through a lot as a church and I feel very convicted that Jesus has been inviting us to surrender and to lay down, not because he's done with us, but because he has new life on the other side of death. And I've never been as hopeful as I am today about the future of our church, but not because I feel comfortable and not because I feel certain. In fact, it's precisely because I feel so uncertain and so uncomfortable and so inadequate and so dependent on Jesus that I feel like we have the hope of actually embracing the new life that he has for us. I feel like we're on the cusp of a posture of surrender that has us more likely than ever to be following his lead into the future. So back in about this time last year, I remember referencing this image at a town hall meeting we had as a church. And I still believe in what that image represents. It's the concept of being invited by the grand architect to partner with him, to build something new and to dream afresh about what he would like to do with our church. Now you had some really interesting questions and emails about this picture. Like what kind of lumber are we using though? (laughs) Really? How many rooms are there going to be in this house? Is there insulation? Did we waterproof the foundation? I got some good laughs out of the questions and comments. But at a big picture level, hopefully we get the point. And I still believe in that today. But in the spirit of Jesus' cue for us about seeds falling and multiplying, I might exchange that image or update my imagery today to something that looks more like this. Just think for a minute about what that conjures up for you. For me, an image like that, it resonates at a visceral level that almost goes beyond what you can put into words. It just evokes this sense of new life springing forth, this cautious curiosity and optimism, this beautiful yet fragile life emerging that still has needs. It's dependent on the elements, on maybe a gardener. There's work to be done, yet it's just ripe with hope and possibility and expectation. And we intuitively understand it's going somewhere. It's not done, it's not finished. It's growing, it's evolving, it's transforming. It's full of purpose and future. And I think there's something about that imagery that Jesus leaves with us about seeds falling to the soil and new life emerging in the kingdom. 
Another scripture that's so instructive for us about the importance of yielding to the new ways of Jesus is Matthew nine in chapter nine. We start at 16 and 17. And if you're tracking with us, you can open up your Bibles or pull out a Bible app. These are more of the words of Jesus. And he says, who would patch old clothing with new cloth for the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Now, of course, there's context here. Jesus has been asked, why don't your disciples behave like the Pharisees did? What's up with that? And he's taking time to instruct them and say, look, the old way of the law and religion is like an old wineskin. It's become brittle and inflexible and it can't contain the new wine of my kingdom and the new wine of the new covenant. And so we need new wineskins. And there's something instructive from Jesus for us today about that enduring principle. Sometimes our ways, our structures, become old wineskins that are brittle and inflexible. And we need to be open to the possibility of shaping new wineskins to carry the new wine of the new things that Jesus wants to do in our midst. It revolves around that same principle of laying things down, laying down our life in order to find new life, being ready to lay down old wineskins and shape new ones to carry the new wine of what Jesus has for us. And what happens if we don't do that? Jesus says, both are spoiled. The wine is spilled and the wine skin breaks. Isn't that interesting? And we're not speaking in riddles here. This is applicable for us as individuals, as communities, and as a church. There's questions in here that Jesus is asking us. There's challenges that he's gently offering to us. There's rebuke, but there's also invitation that Jesus is calling to us. I have found it so beautiful in the last couple of months to just watch our church working our muscles of community discernment together across our whole Meeting House Church family, imperfectly and as we stumble, but people coming together and getting engaged and asking the question of God and of one another, what are we being called to? What are we being asked to surrender and what are we being called to commit to moving forward? People leaning in, experiencing times of prayer and fasting and listening to the spirit. I've heard stories of people surrendering in ways they haven't before. And I know it's not all perfect, but I'm encouraged and I'm inspired by us growing those muscles together. I really am and feel like those are important muscles for us to carry into the future. And as we've done that, and as we interpret things like the concept of new wineskins, what I'm hearing from us together as a community is becoming real about the fact that we just no longer are the church that we were before. And that's okay. It's okay to grieve and to experience loss, but there's hope on the other side of laying things down because our King has defeated death. I'm hearing us lay down the concept of being a mega church and just acknowledging that that's not who we are anymore. And that the sooner we lay down who we've been and recognize that, the sooner we can embrace the new life that Jesus has on the other side because he's not done with us yet. 
in whatever words you want to use, what it seems like he's been saying to us is he's inviting us to assemble ourselves in a way where being and being embedded in our local communities to disciple one another and bring the message and love and life of Jesus, like light into the darkness, like salt, like yeast in the dough is what he's calling us to next. And we're starting together to catch a vision for what it could look like for us to become a network of local churches that are incarnational and embedded in our communities and on mission to live out the gospel, empowered to do that in our local contexts, but united together to share resources and encouragement and equipping, reminding ourselves that we're stronger together than we are alone. It's really important that we resist that temptation. And I have it too to jump for clarity on the what maybe you're like me and you're constantly looking for more clarity on, but give me the, what, what does it actually look like? And of course we're doing work on that. And you and others are speaking into that as communities across the meeting house, but we need to spend time sitting in the why this why of mission of purpose of what Jesus is actually calling us to during COVID I started watching some workout videos as part of my exercise routine. And there's this one that I love. I still watch it from time to time where the instructor right before the hardest part in the routine, he says, I love you enough to let you hate me. (laughs) And every time he says that, I think, Oh, I do hate the part that's coming next. So I love you enough to let you hate me by asking us to pause on the why and root ourselves here really, really, really firmly before we race to the what of what's next for us as a church. And in order to dig into this question of why, what do we do? We look at Jesus. Ephesians five, one to two reminds us that our job is to imitate Jesus the best we can in all things. And what did he do? He sacrificed himself and laid his life down for us to show us love. When we look at Jesus and we say, okay, so how did he live? What did he do? We see that he didn't get bigger and go higher. He didn't stay in his seat of comfort and he didn't go back. He incarnated. He got small. He got local. He came down to be with us, to be one of us. He came into the neighborhood. He moved in. He went on mission. He went low. That's what Jesus did. He dined with us when we were lost. He came after us and is still coming after us to show us his love. It's not even a metaphor. It's physical history. Jesus actually did this for us. And in so doing, he set a model for us and he gave us our why. And why did he do this? I believe he did this because the kingdom of God doesn't manifest in a broadcast platform. It doesn't manifest in an institutional brand or in an identity. It manifests on the ground in our relationships, in our communities where real life is happening. And if anyone had the ability or the right to set up an attractional ministry, it was Jesus, wasn't it? In fact, that's what would have been more common for leaders of the day. You go see them. What does Jesus do? He's on the move. He's on mission. 
Did he gather with his disciples? Absolutely he did in small forms and in big forms, but in the context of mission that was moving outward and loving people where they were at. So being like Jesus and Jesus centered doesn't mean that our transformation process is just an insular one. When we become more like Jesus, we find that passion for being incarnated and moving out on mission into our communities light up within us, just like it did for Jesus. So when we think about our future, when we think about even the concept of becoming a network of local Jesus-centered churches, if what lights us up about that is more ability to make decisions locally and financial transparency, I'm the first one to say things like that are good and important. But are we seeing that those aren't enough of a why to hang our hat on? Those are important aspects of a what that is yet to come. But if people ask us why we're compelled about our future and our answers are decision-making authority and financial transparency, we need to rest longer in the why. Because the why will endure and the what will change. So there's a great word that I'm curious to know if you've heard before. The word is interpathy. So most of us are familiar with sympathy and empathy. And the idea of interpathy goes beyond sympathy and empathy to introduce this concept of actually journeying with one another in real life, entering into our experiences with one another. And as Christians, of course, that takes on even deeper meaning. It gives vivid life to the concept of being the salt of the world, the light of the world, of being the yeast in the dough of the kingdom. And I'd love for us to think for a second whether that represents what our church experience is and has been. And maybe the answer is yes, because I have seen that across our church. And if so, let's celebrate that. And I'd invite you to be a champion of sharing that with others and inspiring them with your church experience. Maybe your answer is no, that hasn't really characterized my church experience and that's okay. But maybe reflect on that and think about why that is. Do you feel that your church community is growing closer together in discipleship and that you're embedding yourself and incarnating the message of Jesus in the community around you? Are you on mission together with your fellow disciples? Not just to give, giving's great, but to be salt and light with your time and energy in the community around you, in your neighborhoods, in your city, in your town. Can you point to real ways that that's happening as part of our church life? Where will people find us? Will they find us out on the margins of society? With the lepers and the disadvantaged? Because that's where people would find Jesus. Or will they find us in the comfort of the center, trying to preserve it? And are we as a church organized and shaped to make this kind of life conducive to feel like that's the wind at our back is to blow us in the direction of being incarnated and embedded in our communities, walking side by side, discipling one another as we introduce other people to the love of Jesus. I'm not asking those as loaded questions. I'm honestly asking us to reflect, is that our church experience? Is that the church that we want?
So if we're going to live out anything even close to this kind of revolution as a church, we need to embrace the concept of story. It doesn't mean we all have to be poets and love writing, although some of us do, but whether we identify with that word story or not, we're all living in a macro story and we're all living in our own individual stories. And as we set out towards a future that God has in store for us, we need to tell and see ourselves and one another and everyone in expansive stories that stretch our imagination in ways that it hasn't been stretched before in ways that give us a fresh and stark encounter with this mind busting incarnational go low, not high reality that Jesus models for us and what that actually looks like. What we don't need is one leader or two leaders just telling us what the vision is and the story is. We need to set conditions where everyone's invited and challenged to dream and to think about what is your story and how do we sew those stories together into the fabric that is our church so that we all feel like we own it and we're in it together. That's harder and more different than it sounds relative to how churches often operate. But what if we embrace that together? What if I embrace that? What if you embrace that? What if we embrace that? What would your story sound like? What would you dream of? Some things I would dream about in our church's story would be, I dream of people asking me and us about our church and who we are. And our response being the first and foremost, we're about Jesus at the center of everything but we identify physically with our local space and place and community. And that our purpose and our fruit aren't just intellect, but we can point to the fruit of changed lives and changed communities right where we live, right where you live, that we can point to ways we're doing our best to be salt and light and yeast in the dough and light in darkness. I dream of a church where our time is spent relationally discipling one another, getting tight as a church family. This paradigm doesn't throw discipleship to the side. It needs discipleship as the lifeblood of the movement where we're shoulder to shoulder on this journey. I think of a story where when we gather, we do it with purpose, not because when we gather, it is what church is, but we gather because We've spent the whole week doing what church is and we need to come together to celebrate what God is doing, to praise him and worship him, to teach and be equipped because I'm ready to get back out there and be church for another six days. That's a story I want to tell about the church that I'm part of. I want to tell a story about our churches being so loving and not just with our money, but we can point to ways where our time and our energy and our homes and our possessions and our relationships are so invested in our communities that if we fled the scene, they'd be begging us to come back because the presence of Jesus is so palpable, whether people are following him and committed or not, that they can't live without it. I dream of that. I dream of being part of that church in my local community. I dream of a community that looks centered set where there's layers of us, a committed core that's 
shepherding that center. There's people that are compelled and on their way moving in because they feel so invited and welcomed. Even if they don't agree with everything that's happening, they just see this love of Jesus and they can't do anything but want to move toward it. And there's people even further out who we're going to meet on their turf to spread this message that Jesus has of good news and inviting them to join the journey rather than policing a boundary based on a belief set or behavior set. I dream of a community where discipleship happens in the context of local mission, where we spend just as much time in our home churches and our discipleship gatherings, discerning what God's up to in our neighborhoods and asking that question of what's going on in our community where we need to be salt and light as we do talking about teaching. But teaching is key. I dream of a community where teaching has purpose because, Hey, I need equipping. I need to learn how to do this because I'm out there on the mission field as a church embedded in our community and teaching is I'm desperate to know what the right way is and the tools that I need to live like Jesus in my everyday life. I dream of a community where we share power and we share information and people are well represented in decisions we make. Why? Because then we're a church where we feel ownership and we feel engagement and we're deeply involved and invested in this family. because that produces more growth in all of us, even if it's messier. And I dream of a community where thoughtful experimentation is part of who we are. Where we realize if we're going to reach the spiritually curious people in our lives, it's going to take creativity and it's going to take a mix of brokenness and boldness, but it's going to take saying more yeses than no's. And I'm inspired by that. So this concept of us becoming a network isn't just a structural change. If we're putting our hope in our new structure, we can all just go home. There's gotta be a deeper why beneath that. And I want to invite us to consider that this week and over these coming weeks. This summer, we're forming a team of people with representation from all of our communities to start start speaking into the concept of a shared covenant or shared commitment that might define the start of who we think God's calling us to be in our next chapter as a church. I'd invite us to be praying about that, to be covering that process in prayer. Next week, we're gonna hear about what's exciting, even just one of our pastors about what this could mean for us locally in our church communities and what it looks like at that level. And the week after that, we'll spend some time processing some questions that we have as a church so that we can help to bring more clarity as we move along this journey together. But for today and this week, I'd invite us all to embrace that challenge of asking God, what are you inviting us to lay down? And where are you inviting me, my home church, my local community, and us as a meeting house church family to surrender? to make way for the new life that you're offering us. So let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that you modeled for us what it looks like to love.
And at the core, at the center of that modeling was your death and resurrection for us. Will you show us ways that you're inviting us and challenging us to participate in laying our lives down so that we can find them in surrendering to what you have in store for us? We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.